We're all on the road to Morocco. Look out. Well, clear the way. Yes. Here we come. Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 62 for the week of September 24th. I'm Ben Smith and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey Mike! Ahoy! We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest and this week we will be talking about Morocco's brief appearance in the history of the contest. How is it going, Mike? It's going alright. How are you doing, Ben? Uh, it's good. As of today on the calendar, it is officially fall. It's currently like 80 degrees outside, so whenever fall is ready to get here, I, I'm, I'm ready for it. Yes. I don't know. I'm excited about this one. Like, I did research. I purchased a book off of the internet for this one. Ooh. This is for realsies, folks. This, this uh. is for realsies, yeah. <laughs> I am a big fan of the podcast You're Wrong About, mm-hmm. and like found like a few topics in, in our column of things we should eventually do on the show, where I'm like... Oh, this would be a good one for like one of us to go off and do the research and then explain to the other one. I agree. Should we cover some news before we, uh, should. we dive into that? There has been so much news. There All has right. been so much news. It is as though the new year has begun. The main one that I was happy to see finally get resolved, Iceland and Hatari's actions during the scoring. Ruve reported this week that they have been fined 5,000 euros by the EBU. All of the major news sources I could find for this made it very clear that this is the minimum possible fine for this for these actions. So I feel like I was correct in saying that this was going to be a slap on the wrist, if that. Yeah, I feel like there was a no-win situation for really anybody involved. EBU, like it seemed like their hands were kind of tied, but then Roof's hands were also kind of tied. and Kind of, yeah. although I do like in reading the translated official statement that Ruve is just like, okay, so, you know, we did everything that we could. We can never completely prevent artists on their behalf from saying or doing anything that might contradict the rules of the competition. Right. We, we can sit them down and go, guys, you can't do this, but like, you can lead the horse to Eurovision, but you can't prevent it from playing out a Palestinian flag at the last second. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's a very tricky situation. It's just and the whole it's... thing is <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 speaking of you're wrong about, the most recent episode of the podcast talked about the uh, Janet Jackson Super Bowl wardrobe malfunction. Which and is it's, just so nicely timed for this. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's really kind of the same issue where the NFL couldn't really prevent that from happening. The broadcast, like CBS and the individual affiliates couldn't prevent that from happening. But then, like, fines were levied anyway. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it just gets into kind of like a... I don't even know how to describe it. Just like rule enforcement where, yeah, it's just such a peculiar situation. Yeah. I, I think everybody is just happy that it's over. Yeah, we can finally move on and Iceland's consequences have been dealt with and we we know that they'll be participating in next year's contest. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I did like that they closed out their, their statement with like, so we're still going to do Eurovision next year. Like 98% of our populace watched it. We, we still mm-hmm. very much like the Eurovision. We disagree with this fine, but we will still be there. So they join the list of countries that have confirmed participation. Right now we are at 36 countries. No new countries have announced that they'll be debuting at Eurovision, but Ukraine has announced that they will be returning this year. 
I guess as long as nothing crazy happens after their selection show like it did this year. Something tells me in that particular case that they're probably going to make sure that that does not happen again. Eh, you never know. Uh, you never know. Again, <laughs> everybody's you can talking bring about the vid yeah. horse to water, but you can't, mm-hmm. you can't <laughs> confirm that the judge is not going to ask it what it feels about Crimea. Right. We also found out that Turkey will not be participating this uh, coming year, which... I don't think it's a huge surprise. Their, their list of grievances, none of that's been addressed. Turkey still has the same complaints, and they're not going to do it. None of the, yes, we're participating, no, we're not news feels fresh, but like we're getting little glimpses at different ways that countries are going to be shaking up their selection process. Mm-hmm. Feels interesting, particularly in the case of the UK, because like the UK yeah. announced, okay, uh, we're going internal again, which that feels, like, that feels like a wise choice. I feel like that was <laughs> something we had said, hey... Just, you know, you don't have to do a a public selection. It's not going well. Mm -hmm. And in particular, the BBC has announced that they are partnering with the the BMG record label to select the artist and song for 2020. In doing this, they listed a bunch of artists currently with BMG in the press release, none of whom are probably going to be available for next May. The names that they dropped, Mabel, who's uh, Don't Call Me Up, definitely got some pop justice love as somebody who follows that blog. Uh, Louis Capaldi, who is currently rocketing up the American charts as well as the British charts. George Ezra, who does very well in the UK and has definitely had at least a few SNL performances over here. Jess Glynn, who has had eight UK number ones and is mostly just known over here for being the person who sings on top of Queen Bandit's Rather Be. I had no idea she was so successful in the UK. She does numbers over there. Yeah. And like, as somebody who has listened and enjoyed both of her albums, it kind of boggles my mind that she doesn't quite connect over here. But that's the case for so many UK artists. Mm-hmm. Following up on our specific Come to Jesus talk that we had with them, Ed Sheeran is not a BMG artist, so they probably can't get him. And also, he's like, I need 18 months to do nothing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother, Matt, though, is a composer, so they, they could probably get a Sheeran if they wanted to. Huh. I, I had no idea that he had a brother. I'm pretty sure that the second Ed Sheeran's first album went platinum, that they immediately got all the other Sheerans on some sort of dev deal. Yeah, yeah. That, just that in, just in case. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I was looking at the list of other BMG artists, and a couple that jumped out to me, MIA, which I think would be hilarious, because there is no way that she would do this. <laughs> if only because i think she may have retired from music but also just in general yes yeah yeah i mean it's like oh if you thought hatari was going to be just just as someone familiar (laughs) with her yes she would no she's busy yeah and then the other one was Catherine mcphee which i could actually see that panning out and i'm not sure if that would be the worst idea or the best idea Dear the UK, let Catherine McPhee be your star. Yes. Oh, oh. If they made the third season of Smash and it was like between her and Megan Hilty representing the UK at Eurovision, uh, NBC, call me, please. I, I have a lot of really bad ideas. Uh. I just want to see the I just want to see the Nielsen ratings on that season of the program. Oh, oh. There is just, just uh, like, sir, the numbers are back. There's like a handful of people in Chicago watching this. Yeah. Handful of people in Chicago and my friend Adam from Twitter. Uh, <laughs> uh, back on topic. Spain also announced that they're doing an internal selection, given that their last forever has not really been successful. Spain is going to try to find a well-known artist to represent them. A couple of people who have been in talks with their broadcaster diana navarro and ruth lorenzo uh, ruth lorenzo represented spain in 2014 
perhaps working with somebody a little bit more established might turn fortunes around for them yeah Yeah, i (laughs) i i don't know what to what they can do yeah like i'm not sure what to make of this news i do like that eleni uh also was like oh yeah no they talked to me too and i was like nah yeah i mean she's she's doing great like she's Mm -hmm. definitely making inroads in spain and like everybody loves her eleni was eleni was uh if i remember the news report i read correctly was like uh no i'm gonna go move to los angeles for three months to kind of break it over here hmm so I'm going to be busy. Yeah, like that That should be interesting to see if that happens. Yeah, no word yet on when any of these artists will be selected or any of those announcements will be made. So uh, we will keep you posted. We are like months away from like any of these things being actually named at this point. Yeah, announcing early doesn't necessarily serve you well. I mean, Armenia announced in November of last year and I, I, don't, th- that... I don't think that moved the needle. So Nope, that is the news. <laughs> This week, I wanted to talk about Morocco at the contest, primarily because at the Madrid pre-party this year, there was like a weird montage where I could not figure out the theme of the entries they were picking, and one of them was the Moroccan entry, which I did not realize was a thing. So uh, Morocco has the distinction of being the only African nation to ever participate in the contest. Mike, in kind of, you're wrong about fashion, what do you know about Morocco at the contest? I know very little about Morocco's mm-hmm. uh, singular entry. I know that it was in 1980, and they haven't been back since. Uh, it's And that it's the only entry that's been completely in Arabic, and might be the only—Soldi had some Arabic in it, but, like, Ar- Arabic has not had much representation at the Eurovision Song Contest. I think that's about it? That is a reasonable amount of information about Morocco at the contest, because like I, you know, went to Wikipedia as a starting point, and there's not a lot there, which is why I had mm-hmm. to like go and dig up a couple books, uh, mostly because like the the couple pages that there are on Wikipedia, there aren't any web resources about it. The places where you have to go are like actual books that were that have been published by by fans trying to get like a, a glimpse of the full contest, which is. In lieu of that, and while waiting for the books I had ordered off of eBay to arrive at my house, I started digging into kind of what was going on during Eurovision 1980. Mm -hmm. Without Morocco, it's already a little bit weird. It is the 25th contest, so it is the the silver anniversary of Eurovision. Israel had won for a second time, as we mentioned in our 1979 episode, but it's like, we don't have the money to do this again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spain was asked, Spain said no. Uh, the UK had been the the go to backup. They were also like, "Nope, we're we're we are good." So, after a lot of scrambling around, the Netherlands is like, "Okay, so we will host, but we are going to reuse the props from the last time we hosted, and also we're going to try and do this as cheaply as possible." Uh, everybody is fine with that because they just want Eurovision to happen at that point. But because of all of the the scrambling around, uh, the contest is no longer happening in March. And the date they select in April is Israeli Day of Remembrance, so Israel can't participate. It is the only time in the history of the, of the contest where the winning nation doesn't participate. A thing that I found very funny is that the show is held almost entirely in Dutch. You, usually oh. you, you have like a handful of languages going on, and uh, the 1980 contest, nope, Dutch. Was it even English, French, and Dutch? or As minimal as you can get on those. Oh, wow. But, like, in, in like watching the video, because I did go back to the video, like there's a lot of Dutch going on. Okay. <laughs> in addition to Israel not being there, Monaco also departed. And Monaco does not come back to the contest until 2004. Was there a reason for that? Or were they just um, like... They just had like not done well. 
Okay. And like they, yeah, like they come back in 2004 and they continue to not do that great. Huh. So in the midst of all of this, Morocco is here. The one Moroccan entry is Samira Benzad's Bitakat Hob. <laughs> Uh, it was performed fifth in the running order, and as you mentioned, it's entirely in Arabic, and it's really the the only entry that has that distinction. Uh, did you listen to the song? I did. What did you think? What did you think? I don't know what I was expecting going into listening to this, because uh, to pull back the curtain a little bit, like we have a show notes doc that we're both updating between episodes just to get all of our links in order and uh, see what we want to talk about. And I tried to stay out of the doc as much as possible because I wanted to like learn about this, like as the listeners were learning about this well yeah and like i very i made sure that all of my notes were blacked out so that you could not so that you would not be spoiled on anything right right and it's not like i have a sense of what pop music or like not even pop music but like what eurovision entries would be in 1980 Mm -hmm. so like really kind of going in context free and i don't have much familiarity with north african pop or like what what the music style would have been at that time so i just kind of went in not really sure what to expect i think it was fine i don't know what i was supposed to latch onto. i guess okay. is what i'm trying to say and okay. like, it's, it's not like there was anything like bad about the song or great about the mm-hmm. song it was just like oh it's a song that's being performed and like knowing that Morocco never came back to the contest, it was just like, oh, probably didn't do well. So, um, okay, yeah. I mean, we will we will get to how it did in a minute, but like some things that I noticed is just as I was like watching this, it was like hot on the heels of when I had just watched all of the 1979 contest, mm-hmm. and like it felt very much of a piece with some of the entries that year, which makes sense because music trends tend to not just be you know, one year only, especially right. when you look at musical trends in the 70s and we didn't have, like, the weird mono-genre stuff like we do now with, like, Old Town Road. Mm-hmm. It was nice to hear some of, like, the the disco percussion and the strings that we had kind of noticed in the 1979 contest still kind of popping up in 1980. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But, it, like, at the same time, it's just, like, a song that's in a totally different language. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm sure in the context of a contest that is mostly in dutch like that's just linguistic whiplash <laughs> so it, well yeah and like yeah. the thing for me like you i, I was kind of like oh this is just okay mm-hmm. like it, it's it feels like very standard kind of mid-tempo-y not quite a ballad but not not super up-tempo either and then like the thing that kind of that kind of let me down about it is the last third of it or so is just kind of doing that la 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 thing once you run out right. of words or just kind of like uh, a wordless reprise of the melody and chorus from before. I would say that it, it was a very, I don't want to call it a beige song, but it's its so neutral. Like, it's just like, it is at the baseline of a song. And it's just like, okay, everything is either going to be much better than this or much worse than this. Like, it is the exact average mm-hmm. of a song. Well, yeah, and like, I feel like if you were, you know, if you were looking at that video, just kind of, without any context of what nation is singing you were like okay this is someplace you could probably place it as as occurring like roughly sometime in the 70s or you Mm -hmm. know kind of late 70s just based on the orchestration right 
and then just given the Arabic, you could you could kind of pick out like what nations at that time where it was coming from. But like, yeah, there's nothing that distinguishes it or really makes it kind of rise above. You you were kind of lukewarm on this and and knew that it didn't place well. It placed 18th out of 19 participating nations. Hmm. It got seven points from Italy, so Italy Italy okay. was fond of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, nobody else was. Uh. I have no clue if it was people were just not into just Morocco just sort of coming into the contest and being there, or if it was just there were better songs. Um, but anyway, so some of the, the aftermath of the 1980 contest. So Morocco places 18th. Uh, Ireland wins. What's another year for someone who's lost everything but What's another year for someone who's getting used to being alone? Their second time as, as the winner, uh, the, the first win for Johnny Logan, who will later go on to win a second time. Mm. Ireland will win five more times. Uh, they are the, the winningest nation. What's another year feels, feels very much like 1970s country influence pop. I, I say that mostly as someone who has been just binge watching the the current Ken Burns documentary about country music and finding it fascinating. Mm. Uh, but but like when you've been listening to like a bunch of like what was going on in country at that time, what's another year totally sounds like that. The main thing that that you had noted about Morocco and that I had known about Morocco is that they had pulled out of the 1981 contest after their one appearance. Wikipedia mentions the king of Morocco essentially was like, this was terrible. We're never coming back. And like the only citation is in a book. That was like the one piece where I was like, okay, I would like, I would like to read a non Wikipedia source on this. That is the mm -hmm. reason I, I, you know, cracked open my piggy bank and paid like two bucks for a copy of Des Mangan's This is Sweden Calling, which is this book from 2004. I was pleasantly surprised. I was, I was very concerned that it was going to be a snarky book and it was, I know, like, Des Mangan turns out to be an Aussie television commentator, and he actually did commentary for the 2004-2005 contest for oh. Australia. The tone of the book is kind of reverently irreverent, which kind of matches my general vibe of Australia's feelings towards the contest. Uh-huh. Went looking in the book, being like, yes, I have it. I have the source from the Wikipedia pages. I will find exactly what it says, and, and more will be known to me. Uh, it's two sentences. It's two sentences. Uh, after coming 18th, the King of Morocco decreed it to be the last time, and it was. Huh. That is it. And, like, there, the, the book uh, does not list its sources, so I, I have no actual way of proving that the King of Morocco actually decreed one way or the other whether Morocco would participate again. Uh, huh. The Moroccan broadcaster, SMRT, definitely said no to coming back. Right. But, like... The more I think about it and the more I look at some other factors around if we would ever see Morocco participate again, I'm wondering if it was like a one and done sort of a deal. There's one particular reason where I'm like, where I'm like, oh, this is why Morocco did it. This, you know, decided that they wanted to play and do the same thing that all these cool European countries were doing one time. And then like with the plan of doing it one time, because if they did well, hey, we go out on top. Ah. Uh, if you do poorly, this is the jury. This is block voting. We're never doing right. it again. This is no. But before I, I kind of go into like my weird theories on this, uh, looked up how uh, Samira is doing. She's doing fine. She's doing great. She has released over 40 albums. She is very prolific. The one thing that I found amusing is that like one of the, the images on her official Wikipedia page, I'm pretty sure someone has just like copied and pasted her face on somebody else's body. Oh. Uh, I've looked up photos from more recent performances. She's still looking refreshed. She is oh. still. Yeah. 
but again, like she's doing fine. She has a career not doing well at Eurovision did nothing, did nothing. She's doing great. The one question I had after this was, okay, so is there a chance that we would ever see Morocco participate in the competition again? Because just thinking of Monaco, Monaco quit in 1979. They came back in 2004 and then like Rage quit a few years later. The answer after doing further research, probably not. Okay. Here is what ties in with why I think 1980 might have been a one and done for them. Uh, Morocco is one of the many Arab nations that does not recognize Israel as a state or nation. Oh. And in 1981, Israel is back because the, the contest is held on a date where they are able to participate. Right. And again, Morocco, Morocco and Israel do not see eye to eye, so it makes sense that they would not pop up again. Also, Eurovision is expensive to do. Morocco does not have a ton of money and also... Not a lot of artist community because most of the successful Moroccan artists tend to be based in countries like France or Egypt or Lebanon. Mm, that makes sense. Yes. Uh, well, like the the other question that I had was, uh, is the king of Morocco still, is, is he still alive? Is it still the same king? <laughs> is the one who uh, said no still, still the king of Morocco? Excellent question. I did not look that up. It feels like there are so many other factors that even if there's like a royal decree, there are plenty of other reasons for them to kind of sit out. Mm -hmm. That said, there are some fun connections to recent competitions. France's entry from this year, uh, Bilal Hassani, uh, he is Moroccan. Right. In another connection that is even more tangential than, than that is, uh, Moroccan Oil is a sponsor of the 2020 competition. They are the premier sponsor, similar to whatever the third tier uh, MyHeritage, actually you no, know, I think it was MyHeritage, whatever the... Whatever the 23andMe, but not that, was this year. Moroccan oil is now. Yeah. Which means everyone's <laughs> hair is going to be so shiny. When that was announced, I did check to see if they have any sort of footprint in Morocco. They do not. They do so. not. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say. Uh, so, yes, Moroccan oil is a sponsor. This means nothing. Yeah. Uh, no. Moroccan oil is a brand name of argon oil, argon oil, which is an export of Morocco. Ah, okay. Uh, but that is about as, as, as connected as, as it gets. So that is kind of the history of Morocco at the contest and their one appearance. Did you learn a thing? Kind of going into like the finding of sources for mm -hmm. this information. There's one resource that I have where I was like looking at the 1980 contest and it was the same thing where it was just like, I don't even think it was two sentences. I think it might've been half yeah. a sentence uh, saying oh, yeah, no, like, so oh yeah, Morocco like, was there. Yeah, while, I, while I was picking up This is Sweden calling, I was like, well, what else does eBay have in the used book section that is mm -hmm. around the same price? Uh, picked up a few other books, and neither of that, like, one of them specifically focuses on, I, I don't want to say wacky moments, but just sort of, like, the larger moments at the competition, and it's from 2014, so it goes all the way up to Conchita. Okay. Uh, but, like, it doesn't mention Morocco at all, at all, at all, uh, in, huh. in the stuff for 1980. Like, it finds other things for 1980. That's and so then I picked up one of the official guides that particularly if you get one from like 2008 where it's like years out of date at this point are are very very easy to, to scoop up and that also has just not like other than just like morocco was here uh just kind of glazes over everything yeah i don't know like i'm still trying to figure out why was this included in the in the pre-show in the pre-roll for the for the madrid contest because it was such a weird assemblage of clips and there was no discernible pattern of of oh this is every entry that came 18th in the contest <laughs> like that Some, someday a, spain will do that, that. would have been <laughs> a fun pattern it would be a, it would have been like a weird kind of interval thing between acts but sure do that yeah maybe it was like a next to last place compilation or something i don't like well yeah it would be like uh, recognizable song recognizable song morocco yeah 
Hmm. This was like such a fun, like weird rabbit hole to go down. We now have a reference desk of books that are all out of date, but in different ways. Yes. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. You can find us on our website at eurowhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eurowhat. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can subscribe to the Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Rating and reviewing the podcast when you subscribe also helps other Eurovision fans find us, so please do that. We will be back in a couple of weeks to make sense of what's new in Eurovision. 